KPFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for a Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. The shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is January the 14th, 2014. Oh, that's a nice date. 114 14. <laughs> One fourteen fourteen. Ah, before I start rattling away about the Golden Globes and Woody Allen, he got a Lifetime Achievement Award, you know. I just want to do one small thing. Uh, I can't do it right, and I can't give you all the uh, material because it's not politically correct. I just want to read you a few lines, passages written by... Amiri Baraka, who has died, uh, just died. Ah, gee, he was several months younger than I am. Doesn't seem fair. He was once Leroy Jones. I remember seeing him down on Adeline and Alcatraz, standing in one of those islands in the middle of the street. There was a kind of demonstration. He was, he was, uh, doing the black power shtick. Ah, he was a fiery guy, yes. I looked for the uh, poems of his once wife, Hetty Jones. Couldn't find those. It was in a, they're in a book called Women of the Beat Generation, if you can lay hands on it. Anyway, just so I don't forget and run out of time once I start jabbering about movies, I want to read you just, just a little passage, uh, uh, Mary Baraka has been back east, of course, for a long, long time. Uh, hmm. I was looking at all the biographies of him, and oh, most of them still apply. <laughs> yes. Social essays. Oh, golly. It's, it's a page. There's a page of books and credits and that kind of thing. If you are my age, you will remember Leroy Jones. Uh... Uh-huh. These two plays I have in my hand are about America's racial conflicts. One's the Dutchman, the other is the slave. Literally shocking, it says here. Uh, Dutchman, recipient of the ninth annual OB Award for Best American Play, performed off-Broadway during the 1963-64 season. That award given by The Village Voice. Now, let's see. This copy is uh, dated 1964.
four. Yes, indeed. I remember. Uh, I think it was not long after that they made a movie, and Al Freeman played the guy, and Shirley Knight played the woman. Uh, the guy's about twenty. He's black. The woman is about thirty, and uh, she seems to represent the white establishment and. He kind of represents himself, and of course, she kills him. They're on a subway, and uh, the difficulty is I cannot read you from that play because feminists would scream their head off, and it's kind of upsetting. I remember doing scenes from this play, and the uh, abuse that the woman takes <laughs> is pretty funny. Of course, we know she's going to pull out a knife and kill him, but um, the other passengers, they're on a subway, and the other passengers have to deal with his cadaver. They just throw it off the train. She tells them what to do. I I think it's interesting that when the movie was made, they wouldn't allow the uh, film crew to make that movie in the New York subways. They had to go to London, <laughs> make it in the uh, London subways. Anyway, check out The Dutchman if you want to see the kind of work that uh, Leroy Jones used to smack us upside the head. <laughs> Pretty funny stuff. The other play in this book is called The Slave. I was going to read you one passage from it because it gives you the idea. Once again, there are too many things and particularly the N-word and all that good stuff that just well, 50 years later, we're just not going to say those things because we get all these phone calls and people just can't take it. Uh, to say that it's part of theatrical history or American history, that won't, that won't do us any good. I guess we just hang in there, wait another generation, and maybe people will understand the difference between art and life. But anyway, just... Just to uh, just to remember, Amiri Baraka. I I was thinking the other day. Oh, something about Stanley Stanley uh, uh, Grouch. Yes, I always call him Stanley Grouch, but it's Stanley Couch. He's a jazz critic, and uh, uh, I remember Leroy Jones saying such awful things about him, and it cheered me up because. Uh, Stanley Grouch always says awful things about Toni Morrison. Never mind. Gossip, gossip, gossip. All this literary infighting, I suppose, I suppose it's inevitable, but I kind of think I could, I could do without it. Uh, anyway, in the beginning of The Slave, uh, an old man comes out and he represents history, uh, the ancestors, whatever you like. Uh, he gives a kind of overview in a prologue and of course then he turns into the young man in the play and then at the end of the play he turns back into the old man or the history of black experience that kind of thing the slave was first presented at st mark's playhouse in new york in december of 1964 three characters there's a black male about 40 a blonde white woman about the same age and then there's another guy white bradford easley he's tall 
He's a big guy with thinning hair. He's about 45, a little older. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes this play turns into kind of like a, kind of like a, uh, uh, what do we call that? Uh, an old coward kind of comedy, sophisticated comedy. Anyway, uh, yes, the, the, uh, the arrival of this older white man causes the, uh, white lady to say to him, she says, oh, 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 you're just in time for the mad scene from Native Son. And they get into these hackneyed, hilarious uh, discussions of uh, what was going on in the 60s among the intellectuals. Uh, <laughs> anyway, never mind all that. Uh, I don't have time to give you a course in the history of black drama in the United States. I'll just read you a snatch of the prologue from the slave by the late great Emiri Baraka, once was Leroy Jones. The beginning of the play, The Slave, the uh, prologue shows us Walker, the uh, black man, the central character in the play, coming out on stage dressed as an old field slave, balding with white hair, wearing an old ragged vest. Perhaps he is sitting, sleeping, initially nodding. He is awakened by faint cries like a child's. Comes to the center of the stage slowly and deliberately puffing on a pipe. He is seemingly uncertain of the reaction any audience will give his speech. And here he is, the man speaking for the uh, history, the history of black men, not all black men. It's so complicated anyway. This is the old field slave speaking through this central contemporary character. And he says, whatever the core of our lives, whatever the deceit, we live where we are, seek nothing but ourselves. We are liars. We are murderers. We invent death for others. Stop their pulses publicly. Stone possible lovers with heavy worlds, we think, our ideas. And we know, even before these shapes are realized, that these worlds, these depths or heights, we fly too smoothly, as in a dream or slighter. When we stare dumbly into space, leaning our eyes just behind a last quick moving bird then sometimes the place and twist of what we are will push and sting and what the crust of our stance has become will ring in our ears and shatter that piece of our eyes that is never closed and ignorance a stupidity a stupid longing not to know which is uh, automatically fulfilled, uh, automatically triumphs, automatically makes us killers, 
or foot-dragging celebrities at the core of any filth. It is a deadly filth that passes as whatever thing we feel is too righteous to question, too deeply felt to deny. He relights his pipe. I am much older than I look, or maybe much younger, whatever I am or seem to you, then let that rest. But figure still that you might not be right. Figure still that you might be lying to save yourself or myself's image, which might set you crawling like a thirsty dog for the meanest of drying streams, the meanest of ideas. (laughs) Ideas. Let that settle. Ideas. Where they form. Or whose they finally seem to be. Yours? The others? Mine? No, no more. Not mine. I served my slow apprenticeship and maybe came up lacking, maybe. Ah, Who's to say, really? Ah, But figure still, ideas are still in the world. They need judging, I mean. They don't come in that singular or wild that whatever they are, just because they're beautiful and brilliant... They come just because they strike us full in the center of the heart. My God. My God, just because, and even this, believe me, even if that is just because they're right, doesn't mean anything. Their very rightness stinks a lot of times. Their very rightness. I am an old man, an old man. The waters and wars. Time's a dead thing, really. Keeps nobody whole, an old man, full of filed rhythms. Terrific, huh, that I hoarded so much dignity. An old man full of great ideas. Let's say theories as love is an instrument of knowledge. Oh, not my own. Not my own is right. But listen now. Brown is not brown except when used as an intimate description of personal phenomenological fields as your brown is not my brown, etc. That is. <sighs> we need <laughs> a meta language. We need something not included here. Your ideas. Well, an old man can't be expected to be right. 
if I'm old, if I really claim that embarrassment, <laughs> well, a poem? Lastly, lastly, that to distort my position, to divert you in your hour of need, before the thing goes on, before you get your lousy chance, discovering racially the funds of the universe, discovering the last image of the thing as the sky when the moon is broken, or old, old blues people moaning in their sleep, singing, Man, oh man, man, you, you still here? As hard as nails and taking no bleep from nobody? He say, yeah, yeah, he say, yeah, yeah, he say, yeah, yeah. Going down slow, man. Going down slow, he say. Yeah. The actor um, looks anxiously. He's more field hand now. He shuffles slowly around across the stage. The lights dim. He enters the set proper and assumes the position he will have when the play starts. He's still moaning. Now, reading that, I had to just leave out a number of words that we're not allowed to say on these airwaves because FCC spank. <laughs> also, the N-word, no longer allow, allowed to use that. I usually change it to folks if it's plural or man if it's singular, something like that. What I love about this passage is his mention of a meta-language, M-E-T-A, meta-language. I remember asking students once uh, to describe what they would call a Creole novel, uh, books, stories, literature that was truly, truly uh, multicultural or ultracultural or pan-cultural, you know. The whole new human race that has emerged over the last couple of hundred years. Uh, we still have a lot of problems with color, but surely, surely uh, race is technically uh, a misnomer. Although, of course, we still use the word constantly. Anyway, that is Leroy Jones, who not too long ago wrote a poem that got him into some really serious trouble. Oh, boy, they were mad. So I, I guess that proves that he was a, a furious radical a flash of lightning up until the end, as I say. He was born in 1934, just a few months after moi. <laughs> anyway, uh, look him up, give it a shot. If you're a school teacher, I think you might find it very interesting to see what students would think of his work. Now, half a century later, uh, now, what I meant to do today, of course, was to have some fun with the Golden Globe Awards last weekend. Oh, my God. This year, I howled over the fashion parade. It was all metallic. I kept thinking of those robots, you know. The gowns were, they were like steel, you know. 
Everything was glittering, gold, silver, glass, rhinestones. Uh, some of it looked like medieval chain mail. The dresses looked as if they could stand up on their own, you know. Uh, they looked like chain mail or armor. They all had, the women's clothes mostly had trains. They were tight-fitting, uh, you know, strapless. Then there was a flare uh, just below the knees. Super, super feminine and glamorous. Wearable art. <laughs> that stuff will hang in art galleries someday. It was spectacular and tactile. I wanted to touch it. Tina Fey in Scarlet and Mauve. She and that nice young actress, Amy Poehler. I cannot pronounce her name. It's P-O-E-H-L-E-R. She's in uh, Parks and Recreation. They were the MCs, and Amy was absolutely adorable. She did one terrific little bit in drag, and I have to say, I was quite startled. I did not know she was that uh, that great a screwball comedian. Uh, <laughs> she got an award as well, I think, for her role in Parks and Recreation. Anyway, my most favorite, of course, was that Brett Emma Thompson. She barged on stage barefoot. She was carrying her shoes. She turned them upside down and the, the heels of the shoes were bright red. She said, that's my blood. Emma Thompson's always ready for eruptions of funk. She usually creates them. She started as a comedian in Britain uh, in college. And then she got on the TV and she got Fired big time from the BBC. <laughs> she used some scandalous improvisations. Uh, there was one, it was one about uh, male genitalia, something about a small mouse. Anyway, her description was so bawdy that they kicked her off the TV. I would recommend to you, if you uh, care about such things, I would recommend to you her. One of her best films, probably one of the least seen. She made it with her mother. It's called Winter Guest. Her mother, the actress Phila DeLaw. See, she was in, uh, what is it? Uh, All's Well That Ends Well? Or one of those. Anyway, she was in a Shakespearean comedy with her daughter. And uh, these two, mother and daughter, live across the street from each other. It's quite a feminine colony there. <laughs> She's definitely, Emma Thompson is definitely earthy. Uh, she was presenting the Screenwriters Award. She feels strongly that the screenplay is the essential thing. <laughs> oh, tell us about it. I, I don't know why, but people don't seem to think that the script has much to do with the final result. Uh, she, Emma Thompson, wrote the screenplay for Sense and Sensibility. She was also in that movie. It took her five years, she said. Oh, anyway, I remember it was up for an Oscar, Sense and Sensibility. That was the year that Mel Gibson's movie Braveheart won. I always think of that as, was it Feminist 6, Fascist 9? Uh, the screenplay this year was won by Spike Jones.
Jones. Ah, uh, I can't even remember his movie. My goodness. Oh, dear. That's bad. Anyway, I think, I think that these awards need a better venue. They're all so crowded. They're all drinking and eating, and they're all around tables, and they're all stumbling over each other to get to the stage. Years and years ago, uh, Shirley MacLaine ended the ceremony by saying that she hoped that they could do better and at these awards that they could dignify commerce was her phrase. <laughs> I, I, I never recovered from that. Yes, dignify commerce. Uh, anyway, Shirley MacLaine is in Downton Abbey. Uh, that's the uh, Masterpiece Theater prestige series. She plays the other mother-in-law. Maggie Smith is the aristocratic uh, mother of Lord somebody or another. Shirley is the American. She's the mother of the woman who married Lord somebody or another so that they could have the money to keep their uh, abbey, their great big fancy uh, British house. I don't remember the date on that, but looks to be about five or six hundred years old. Uh, Anyway, Shirley MacLaine shows the British uh, folks how to have an indoor picnic. Things go wrong in the kitchen. Uh, that was supposed to be a lesson in democracy. <laughs> I think that was the, the notion. There's no use trying to uh, deconstruct Downton Abbey or to unpack all that nonsense. It's just too popular to analyze it. Uh, Class warfare is no longer a subject uh, for most critics. Well, the 21st century has got a new spin, but uh, class warfare is kind of like slavery was in earlier centuries. Uh, we, yeah, we think it's just reality. Of course, you know, the classes should know each other and enjoy each other. Anyway, uh, I thought that the... Uh, Golden Globes were pretty silly this year. As a matter of fact, I cannot say that uh, I can recommend them. I suggest you watch one of those shows that gives you 10 or 15 minutes. So you get a look at what they were wearing. So you, you understand that this year, uh, earrings that look like chandeliers are in. And the clothes all look like, golly, a little bit of the Renaissance uh, just absolutely breathtaking, and I imagine speaking of um, speaking of class warfare, that those clothes. Well, I'm sure that the uh, the real jewelry is rented, but those clothes uh, probably cost a small fortune. Uh, back in the day, long, long ago, there was a show called Upstairs Downstairs that came to us from England. And there were a few, just a few episodes about real class struggle, about the agony of the have-nots and the uh, the viciousness of the haves. A lot of stuff about women's oppression. Uh, most of that subject matter, that progressive stuff, just got left on the shelf. The episodes never aired here in these United States. I remember... One episode, it turned up later, you know, one of those things where it said, oh, uh, forgotten uh, episodes in Upstairs, Downstairs. 
they thought they'd use them up, you know. They shared with the audience uh, an episode in which a female servant, a young woman, dies from a botched abortion. <laughs> and the man who should have helped her goes on to better things, well, on to richer girls. If you want to see a uh, movie that that uh, is, deconstructs the British upper class, try Robert Altman's Gosford Park. Uh, it's a murder mystery, but it's disguised as a masterpiece theater story. It's got Helen Mirren and, uh, let's see, so many good people. Alan Bates, everybody's in that movie. Gosford Park. This has been Jennifer Stone. Uh, I didn't have time for Woody Allen. I'll try to do that next week. Woody Allen. This has been Jennifer Stone with uh, Stone's Throw. Until next Tuesday at the same time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. This is Ryan Edwards Teekert. There are a million ways that machines and algorithms have replaced the work of human beings. On January 7th, we'll ask, when is that a good thing? When is it a bad one? And what is to come? MIT scholars Eric Brynjolfsson and Andrew McAfee are coming to the stage to discuss their new book, The Second Machine Age, Work, Progress, and Prosperity in a Time of Brilliant Technologies. They happen to be optimists. My job? Bring on the skeptical gloom. I'll be hosting both authors on Monday, January 27th at the Hillside Club. The address is 2286 Cedar Street in Berkeley. It's wheelchair accessible. Proceeds benefit KPFA. Tickets at local independent bookstores and brownpaperTickets.com. See you there.